0: So one of the things we've been talking about, and I'm taking it slow, not because I'm a slow down person, but I'm taking it slow, as you know, because these pieces of armor that Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 6 are so important to us in our Christian life. And so we've been taking a couple of verses at a time. So if you're a guest with us, we've just been traveling through this great book of Ephesians that helps us understand our identity in Christ, how to live that identity out in Christ so that what we believe is lived out by what we say and how we live. So it's a beautiful thing when we see Ephesians chapter 6 fleshed out as we look at the armor of God and the truth of who Jesus is and I've told you this, this is a, today is battle ready, it's kinda of part 3 but we're gonna take the phrase above all and that's where we are in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 16 and 17. By the way if you um, uh, can't worship in this setting can I tell you something about heaven? that's what we're gonna be doing for all eternity The Bible says worshiping and serving God and loving God and the pains and the sufferings of this present world will never touch us again. There will be a day when it's over here, but it's never over there. So hope is hooking into the future and the future is Jesus. And when we latch on by faith to him, he carries us all the way to the end. So the armor that Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 6 is a garment that we wear in Jesus Christ of chapter 4. The garment of chapter 4 putting Christ on is the armor of chapter 6. So it's all about Jesus Christ. So don't get caught up And be careful what you read about warfare. Don't get caught up about putting on, you know, what piece goes first and what's second and what's third. I'm a little confused. Just get up and put him on. And when you put him on, then you've covered every piece of the armor because he's every piece of the armor. All right? So specifically today, the last three, here's what Paul says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand... Stand, therefore, having girded your loins and your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and here's today, above all, that's the title, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one or the evil one, and then and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So let's talk about this protection that we have. Let's talk about this armor that we have. Let's talk about what above all means. Don't get to the armor of taking up the shield until you understand above all. Above all is a phrase which means there are darts flying in our lives at every single moment. At every single turn, the evil one is firing darts at us. There will not be a time until we get on the other side, which is heaven that there won't be darts that are flying. There won't be circumstances that are trying. Paul says, above all, you need to have this armor on because the darts are coming. The fiery darts of the evil one are coming. That's what Paul's saying here. It's kind of like playing paintball. I remember back in the 80s, When I was the student minister, and we took our first trip because some paintball war path opened up here by the Brio site, I think it was. But we had a helmet that we put on. We had a breastplate of righteousness. And me being the student minister, I was kind of a target by the fact that I was taking 100 students to go play paintball. So what happened when they put all this armor on, they had all these little barriers and uh, stones, if you will, looking like stones that we were supposed to go run and hide behind. So they kind of gave us a shield. And as we were running across the open, we had to have a shield. And as soon as I began to run through that opening to try to get behind that barricade or that barrier I just started getting pelted one after another after another after another and for some reason my helmet got shifted over to the right and I started getting pelted in my head I mean with paintball and it stung and it hurt bad and it didn't take me five seconds to have big whelps on my head I had a wedding that night But I was playing paintball during the day. Here's the point of the story. One of the things that I learned is you never run out in the open until you realize you've got a shield that's going to protect you. And one of the things that we realize in our lives as Christians is we don't run out in the open until we have the shield of faith and the armor of Christ because he is our protection. He is our shield. And so that's what Paul says. He says here, look at the text. Above all, take the shield of faith up. That's what he says. With which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Well, let's first of all take the word shield. The word shield would be a, uh, there's a small shield that oftentimes the fighters would use in scripture. This was a shield the size of a door. It would be like taking off your closet door and putting a handle behind it. And what was beautiful about this shield is this shield protected your whole body and it protected you in such a way that the shield that you would have to fight the battle would be a shield that you would lock into and link into the person next to you. It wasn't you fighting alone. It was you fighting with a comrade, with warriors, with people in community. It was a battalion. It was a family. Now, I want you to think about this. In the Christian life, and if we don't See what this word shield means here. We'll think that we're in this thing by ourselves. You'll think that you're fighting depression alone. You'll think that you're fighting loneliness alone. You'll think that the things that you're going through, nobody else is going through. But nothing could be further from the truth because when we lock our shields together, we are better together. Christianity is not an individual sport, it's a team sport. So you have, listen carefully, you have to have my back when I'm going through tough times, and I am, and I go through struggles, I need you to come and encourage me and lift me up. But at the same time, I need to be able to have your back. You've got to have my back and I've got to have your back. We lock shields together because in Jesus Christ, him being the warrior Messiah that he is, he puts a shield of protection around us as the body of Christ. And when these soldiers would go to war, they would be protected from the fiery darts of the enemy. In fact, these shields would have a leather bound around them. They would uh, dip that leather in water so when they put the shields up like a door, when the fiery darts came and the arrows hit, that it would put out and quench the fire. In fact, it looked like a bunch of cooked porcupines, if you think about it, when the war was over because there was all these arrows that were inside the shield, but they had been extinguished because of the water because the flame couldn't penetrate. So the idea is... That right now, the enemy is flying darts at your life and my life. We will either be deceived and believe the lie of what he's wanting to send to us with the dart, or we will believe the truth of God's Word, in who we really are, even we don't put our faith in feelings, we put our faith in an object, and it's not the quality of our faith, or the quantity of our faith, it's the object of our faith, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you lock down that shield in my life, and God locks down the shield of faith in your life, then we move forward as a church and we penetrate the darkness because Christ in us is greater than anything we'll ever face in our life. He alone is our shield. Now look at the text. So the shield would be like a turtle, a turtle shell. It protects us from all around. In fact, these fighters, these warriors would go into a city and not only was the shield protecting them from the darts that were flying from the enemy, but oftentimes they would drop boulders off of big walls or barricades and the shields would cover them from the top. So the shield goes all around you. If you think of the imagery of that picture... That's what Jesus Christ does in our life. He is our victory. He is a shield around us. When you and I go into enemy territory, we say, Lord, you are a shield about me. You're my strength. You're my peace. You're my joy. Nothing can penetrate me unless you allow that to, but you are my victory. Notice what the text says. It's a shield of faith. The reason Paul says this is because these Jews and Greeks had already come to the table of belief. They had already been ostracized because they couldn't get along, but in Jesus Christ, earlier chapters that we studied, they sat down at the table together, and Paul says they are one in Christ. Now watch this. Not only did they sit down at the table together, now they're fighting together. And that's the way it is. None of us knew each other. Before we came to Christ, and then Christ puts us in the same family and the same team, so it's not an individual pulling up his chair at the table. It's a battalion. It's a family. May we never forget, in this room, that we're family. We don't fight against one another. We fight with one another and for one another. There are some weird ducks in the body of Christ, And just because you're a weird duck, just because I'm a weird duck in the body, a psychologist is probably thinking, you know, he probably ought to come see me. I do. I probably should. But I don't take medicine. And it's not because I don't think it's a godly thing. I just haven't been diagnosed properly yet. No, I'm just kidding. This is a whole other story. So anyway, so what I'm saying here, it's a shield of faith, not a shield of belief. Paul says you've already been immersed and believed into Jesus Christ. He has already identified you as a follower. And now you're going to live this identity out with the shield of faith. And this is faith. This is a word that is an action word. It's a word that means movement. There is with our faith, there is feet and there is movement. That's what Paul's saying here. So he says, you've got somebody else's back. They've got your back. But it's a shield of faith. Let me explain what the word faith means. The word faith means... Not putting your faith into faith. A lot of people put faith into faith. That's not what Paul's talking about. Your faith must have the right object. So faith is a covenant word, which means that God has been so faithful full to me that my only response is being like drawn under a magnet to him because he is a faithful one then he has given me the faith to believe and I am now faithful to him it's not that I am holding on to Christ that's not faith it's that Christ is holding on to me he's holding on to me now watch this because he is holding on to me and because he is The one of faith, the man of faith, the person of faith, he is so faithful, it draws me into faithful living to him. It's a relationship, it's two sides of the same coin, faith and belief, faith and obedience. So the shield of faith is my willingness to obey Christ at every moment of my life, to obey him, to trust him. To believe him, even when it doesn't feel right, even when it doesn't look right, he says, do you trust me? We sang in the song today, I trust you. We saw in you alone with the dance team, but it is easy to sing a song and it is easy to believe that in your head, but to move it from your head to your heart is a whole nother thing. So when we trust God, there is feet that moves toward belief and faith in him. And people see that we belong and are locked in by faith to other believers who walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. So faith is acting like God is telling the truth and he is. He's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. So the faith that I have is faith in him. So I live like I believe what I say I believe. And so I live that way. So faith is what you exercise today when you sat in that chair. You don't have a clue who built that chair, but you didn't hesitate one moment. You came in and you sat down by faith We exercise faith by sitting. We're going to exercise faith when we get in the car that everything's good. You don't know who manufactured that car. You don't know who put all the parts in there. You're going to go to the doctor because you're not going to feel good. And you're going to trust the doctor because you're going to, by faith, do what that doctor says. You're going to have so much faith in that doctor that you're going to take a little piece of paper that he scribbles his name on and scribbles a prescription, and you're going to run to the pharmacist, and by faith, you're going to take what they give you three times a day. Now listen, why is it that we can't trust God? When we can trust everything else, He is the faithful one. He's the shield of faith. He's the strong one. He's the one that sees the beginning and He sees the end and He sees everything in between. And we come to a time in our church when we're in transition and people are going, Well, I wonder who's going to be the next pastor. Don't you even worry about that. You just trust God. You walk by faith and you don't worry who the next pastor is going to be. You just say, God, you're alive. I don't even have to think about that stuff. I can vote. I can do my part. I can walk by faith. You can shepherd me with a pastor or without a pastor. You're the shepherd of my life. So, think about that. That's trust. That is trust. Now, the fiery darts, look at the text. That's what faith means. It's a shield, not of belief, it's a shield of faith. Look what the faith does the shield of faith, which is Jesus, in which you were able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So, these darts are coming. They're coming. And, and it's an idea of like when cowboys and Indians, when you, you would see it on the movies, right? Cowboys and Indians, the, the Indians would be shooting the darts. The cowboys would be shooting the guns. That's not fair. But the Indians sometimes would take an arrow, dip it in oil or pitch, shoot it at the cowboy, and it would land somewhere in this wagon circle, and it would create a diversion. It would create a fire because the Indian can kill the cowboy without the fire. But it's to create a diversion. Listen carefully. When you and I believe the lies of the evil one, when the fiery darts continue to come in our lives, and we focus on the darts, and we focus on the evil one, that creates a diversion. The issue is not the issue. The issue is that God is looking for our trust. In the context of a trial, in the context of temptation, God is looking to see our trust. He's looking to see, do we trust him? Some of you are here today, and you're going through the most difficult time in your life. There's a situation right before you, where the flaming darts of the enemy are coming in. And the tendency during this time would be able to shift your belief over toward the enemy and the disbelief, but rather God's trying to get you to trust him in whatever situation you're going in. It's the shield of faith, and that shield of faith, when we take it up, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, look at this, it says that shield of faith is what quenches the fiery darts. Let me see if I can explain it like this. Spartan general Leonidas back in the day when they were fighting the persian empire he had one guy that was really scared in his army and it was 300 men that were fighting at thermopylae and as they were fighting one of the men came to him and said the persian empire has so many arrows it's darkening the sky they're throwing so many arrows out you can't even see the sun And so one of these timid, fair-minded guys said, you know, we're just going to lose this battle. And Leonidas said this to the gentleman. He said, I guess if that's what it is, we'll be fighting in the shade. Listen carefully. We fight in the shade. We fight in the shade of the armor of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means we're not really fighting. He fights our battles. The battle belongs not to me. It belongs to the Lord, does it not? And so that's what Paul is saying here. So when the enemy is throwing all these darts of accusation at you and me, we put up the shield of faith. And it's not about me. It's always about him. That's why we follow him. And so my faith in Jesus, the shield of faith, causes me to live a life of obedience to him. Now listen carefully. This is important. I'm going to give you a real live illustration. When some of you were singing a few moments ago, you may have raised your hand. You may have been singing to God. Let me tell you where the dark came. Here's what the enemy said. You have no reason to sing that song because of the thoughts you had this week because of the situation you're going through, someone sees your hand up, you should probably put your hand down, because you're not worthy of singing that song. See, that's what the enemy does. He twists things, and then we begin to believe the lie of what he says. Even though we're going through a temptation, and he throws an accusation at us, when the accusation comes back to the truth of God's Word, we say, wait a minute. Yes, I had a thought this week that I shouldn't have, but I can still keep my hand up, because God loves me anyway, and God has a plan for my life anyway and my identity is not in what I do it's in who I am and I am in him so the enemy will throw darts of accusation in a congregation like this right at us and some of you will be paralyzed to the point where you can't move but put up the shield of faith which is the Lord Jesus Christ put your faith and your trust and your whole weight and desire upon him that's what Paul's saying So faith and obedience are two sides to the same coin. Now, let's go on from here. Here's what he says about in verse 17. Take up the helmet of salvation. A paintball. Take up the helmet of salvation, if you will, and the sword of the Spirit. Let's look at the helmet of salvation. So faith is my trust and my dependency And my expectancy upon Jesus, that's what faith is. Faith is not in faith, it's faith in my expectancy for Jesus to do what only he can do. So I know what he can do because he's done it in me. He's given his life for me that I could stand and have the ability to put on the armor, which is him. And so that helmet of salvation I have on will protect me from the fiery darts of the enemy. So the helmet is the real key. Because if you get your head knocked off, if you get knocked out, then you're ineffective in the battle. So we have to have a protection that goes all around us. So faith equals our trust and expectancy. Belief means I've already received the revelation of who Jesus is, so that expectancy and that trust when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and I believed into him, not on him, but into him, I believed in his life. Now watch this. Now the helmet of salvation is the hope that wraps around my life because I know him personally. That's the hope that I have. That's the helmet of salvation. That in Jesus Christ, I have hope. Not because I'm smart. I'm really not smart at all. In fact, my mind gets filled with thoughts just like your mind gets filled with. We go, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the dark. It comes from the fiery darts that are always trying to capture our attention. But we put on the helmet of salvation, which is the mind of God, the spirit of God in our life, and we allow that protection to take place in our life. Now watch this. So the hope of salvation is knowing this, are you right with God this moment, this very moment? Have you made peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you right with God? Are you absolutely 100% sure that you know That you know, how many no's does it take? That you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that when you die, you will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Not based on what you've done, but based on what He's done for you. Do you know that? I remember being in services where... They'd say, bow your heads, and the evangelist would say, do you know that you know that you know that you know that you know? I don't know. How many no's does it take to know? Well, it only takes one no, and it takes knowing that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and when I have placed my faith into Him, that He has secured me, not only now, but for eternity, He will never let me go. It doesn't matter what I do. It, well, it does matter what I do because I'm going to live a different way, but sin. Salvation is not based on what I do, it's based on what he's done. So the hope of my salvation is this, this morning, listen, it's present tense. I have been saved, Christ has come to live in my heart. The question is, are you right with God today that way? Because you can only stand before God with what Jesus has done for you. There's not going to be a day when you bring your good works and say, you know, I've really done a lot of good stuff to help people. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We only will stand before God. And Jesus will say, let him in, not based on what he does, but based on what I've already done for him. He, Freeman, put his faith into me so he can be with me forever. So you need to settle the issue today. Present tense, whether this hope and the helmet of salvation is in your life. And if you have never trusted Jesus today, is the day of salvation. Here's what the enemy's going to do. He's going to accuse you right now. He's going to tempt you into believing and seeing all the things that you've done. It's going to be like your past is going to be on a 40 by 40 screen of living color. And you're going to say, God can't love me. God can't love me. Listen, Jesus died for all sin and all sinners. And there's nothing that you can do that can keep him from pursuing you and loving you. And if you'll just put on the helmet of salvation and say, Jesus, save me today... He'll do it. Now, watch this. This is important. That's present tense. I have been saved, saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved daily from the power of sin. Christ in me overcomes the sin in my life. But one day I will be saved from the presence of sin. The hope of salvation is launching into my faith where I have expectancy, and then my belief, which attaches to my faith, and then that faith and belief cast me into the future, and the hope of my salvation is that if I have believed, and you have believed in Jesus Christ, that heaven is going to be my home forever, and I will one day never struggle with the arrow's with the temptation, with the accusations again. I want to say this to somebody in this room. Some of you are struggling with some big time stuff right now. But one day, we will never, ever ever be tempted to sin again because we will be in the presence of the one who we put our hope and helmet of salvation in and he is faithful to carry us all the way to the end I will not have to deal with the thoughts and the struggles and the pain of this life Jesus Christ will carry me home that's the hope of my salvation that's what Paul's talking about he's talking about yes present tense Are you sure? Do you know that you know that you know? But that hope of knowing carries me all the way to the end. I'll never struggle again, and you will not either. So right now, it's just a test for you. Life is just a test. Life doesn't work against you. It works for you when you have the hope of the helmet of salvation in Jesus Christ. Listen. It's important for you to know that this armor is our victory in him. And this helmet is for us to be able to listen like the Texans. They needed to listen a little bit. You know how the quarterbacks go like this? They're trying to get a play in from the play caller. Well, for us, the play caller is the Lord Jesus Christ. When they you know, hurry, 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 hurry. college, you see them going like this. So there's somebody here, that sovereign, who's calling a play down here because they see the bigness of the field and they see all the enemies trying to put against us. So the idea is when we have the hope of our salvation and helmet on, we listen to the play caller, which is Jesus Christ. We get our instructions not from a book. We get our instructions from the Word of God. Most people are only as good as the last book they read. Seriously. Well, i tell you what. I can tell you how to overcome depression. Okay, you tell me. Well, I read this book. And then they tell me three weeks later, I read another book. Let me tell you what. The best book I've ever read is right here. It's right here. Some of you are dealing with depression. You're dealing with anxious thoughts. Some of you are in a crowd like this, but you're lonely. And I am never going to say, do not go to a doctor. I believe God gave doctors. They give medicine. They can help us out. But listen to me. I've seen God deliver people from depression, anxiety, loneliness because of the strength of his power. He can use doctors, but he doesn't need a doctor because he is the doctor. And he can do it. I'll probably make an appointment with mine this week. Oh, ye of little faith. Okay. So the idea is we have to live not like the Beverly Hillbillies. Jed Clampett was shooting at some food and up from the ground came a... Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. Do you know that Jed Clampett was a millionaire? Mega millionaire before he ever knew it. When he had the land in Tennessee, that was, was mega-millionaire. And then the hillbillies moved to Beverly Hills and continued to live like hillbillies when they were really mega-millionaires. Paul says, make sure you don't live out of the reservoir of who you used to be. Make sure that your life measures the fact that you live as a mega-millionaire spiritually because all the spiritual blessings have been given to you in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. That's the helmet of our salvation. Now we'll come home with verse 17. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So it doesn't say the sword is the Spirit. It says the sword is the Word. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So we would have the Word of God, which would be the Logos, Word of God. That was, would be the written Word of God. But this word here for word of God is the word rhema. And the word rhema means that God, in his written word, oftentimes as you and I read about the hope of our salvation, and we live out of the reservoir of being mega millionaires in Christ, and we know that he is our Lord and he is our Savior, that when we read God's word, he gives us a rhema word, And we pull a rhema word out of the logos word. And that rhema word is a specific word for you and me in the midst of battle. That's what Paul's saying. So the spirit of God, look at the text. So the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So the wielding of the Word of God through you as you use the Bible, when when those arrows come, we block those arrows by faith because the Word of God is active and sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12 says, and it's active and it's powerful and it divides what is from us and what is from Him. That's what the Word of God does. So the idea is the Spirit of God, it says this, look at that, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when you think into the Christian life, when you lean into the Christian life, you've got to understand it's about the Word of God. How much time do you spend doing battle with the Word of God? Do you know how much time you spend on your mobile device? 4.7 hours a week. Oh, you didn't know that. (laughs) That's what they say. We spend 4.7 hours on our mobile device because we want to know the latest news. We want to know the latest score. Some of you are scrolling right now and you ain't scrolling scripture. (laughs) Listen, I know everything. I know everything. But if we spend 4.7 hours on our mobile device, we must think that we need our mobile device in order to live. Do you know what God says? You don't need your mobile device in order to live. What you need to live is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So I can tell you that probably most of us, and I know this is true in my life, probably most of us in our lives, when we go through a problem, the diversion that the enemy gives us is we don't spend any time in the Word of God. We talk to other people, about our problems more than we talk to God and let God talk to us. But if we really say we believe the Word of God, if we really think it's the sword which is the Word of God, then we need to lean into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to speak in our life. Because where there is life, there is motion when you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God lives in your heart and the Spirit of God is wielding the Word of God as we speak and God takes His Logos Word and He gives you a specific Rhema Word out of His Word that is where there is life, there's motion when you go uh, into a room some of you have motion detecting lights and when you go into a room the power's there the lights are there but when you go into the room motion is what engages all of that When we live our lives as Christians in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, where there is life... There is motion. There is life in God's Word. Therefore, there's motion in God's Word. It is an active Word. It's not a stagnant Word. It's a rhema Word. So instead of spending 4.7 hours on my device, what if I, in my situation, spent 4.7 hours reading God's Word? Not to teach a sermon, but for God to speak to me. I would be a different person, and so would you. So we got to make sure that we are wielding the Word of God, the Spirit of God, which is the Word of God. That's what Paul's saying here. So that is our armor. Let me close with this. When we lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, you could play golf. You could snow ski at the top of the mountain in the morning. You could ski all the way to the bottom of the mountain, and you could play golf in the afternoon. But we would have these snows, and we would have... Um, Snow-covered days, beautiful snow, uh, kind of a dry snow, like not a wet snow if we ever got one here. It's all sticky and nasty. In Albuquerque, it's just like, it's just beautiful. It's just like little snowflakes. It's like dry. You can just move your hand, create whatever you want. But what I noticed is the people that I live next to, I took care of my yard. The people that live next to me, they let their yards get out of control. everybody's yard would look like everybody's yard, however you kept it. Whatever you did to tend to your yard. Some people let the weeds grow up. Some people let the grass grow up. Some people manicured their yards. But here's the thing. When it snowed, everybody's yard looked good. Because that beautiful, powdery, white snow covered the whole neighborhood. And everybody would get out and take pictures. And then about three hours later, it was a reminder that my neighbor really has weeds growing up in his life and in his yard. And he can't take care. His yard looked good for three hours. Listen to me carefully. Some of you are playing religious games. And your yard... As nasty as it is in your life, the weeds are coming up all over. You come to church, you try to cover over your sin, you say, it doesn't really look that bad. And then if the picture is, okay, we get a good snow, everything's covered, I look good. But listen, here's the beautiful thing about when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Our life is covered as white as snow for the rest of our lives and the rest of our days and the weeds of sin that come poking through have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He cleanses our soul. He puts His beautiful life. And even if I don't look like I'm covered, I'm still covered because of what He did for me, not because of what I've done for Him. And you can have a snow-covered life today. If you will put your faith, not in faith, put your faith in the object of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will forgive all of your sin. All of it. Some of you right now are thinking, he can't. He can't forgive me. I have really messed up. No, listen to me. You haven't. I've messed up more than you have. If that helps you. And I'm up here. I'm not up here because I'm good. I'm up here because God's good. He's forgiven me. He's given me a testimony, and He'll give you the same testimony, where you can use the broken pieces of your life, and the broken areas of your life, and the places in your life where it has just all fallen apart. Jesus Christ makes all things new, and He puts us all together so that one day when we stand before Him, He's just going to ask us one question. Are you right with God.